Since the Phantom Menace, Queen Amidala, Padme, has been a fixture of strength, royalty, fashion sense, and compassion in Star Wars. We dive back into the prequel era to discuss what makes Padme so beloved by so many fans. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to our second episode of our Padmaisons. Padmaisons. Pad- <laughs> yes, it is this, our Padmaisons. <laughs> Bienvenue <laughs> au Padmaisons. I can't even say it with a straight face. Bon chance à notre Padmaisons. It just it sounds c'est, good. Wait, wait. Ça, c'est le belle époque. Le Padmaisons. <laughs> Le Padmaisons. <laughs> we didn't plan that at all. No, not at all. It just like it came. It just it just arrived. The Padmaisons. Yeah, so welcome so well. to Padme Month. <laughs> the part two. Le de. Yes. Yes, exactly. And today we're going to be talking about all everything to do with Padme. Her character, Padme. Her character arc. Yeah. Not Queen's Shadow, but just Padme. <laughs> and I just, I don't think that we're just as a starting place i don't think we're going to dive into queen shadow at all so this is spoiler free yes yeah so we did do our episode on queen shadow which is why we're not talking i'm we might reference it throughout this episode um i think we will we definitely will but it's not going to be like a discussion about queen shadow we have our Mm -hmm. other episode about that um if you want to once you're done reading the book if you haven't read it yet or just want to dive into those spoilers that's available for you yes definitely And then the second piece of information, or the first piece, I guess, is we are going to be on the podcast stage. I know you guys are sick of hearing us talk about it, but it it is Friday, April 12th at 12 p.m. Central Time. And that is on the podcast stage. I don't have the exact room that it is in front of me, but that's when it's going to be. And we hope to see you all there. Central Time. That like just registered with me. We'll be in Central Central Time. Time. We'll be in Central Time. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And also, our next episode, we're going to be doing a bonus episode after this one that will also have to do with Padme. And we'd love to hear what Padme means to you and your stories with the character or anything. So please DM us or email us at skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com. We will read them on the show. You can also send an audio clip and we might play it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had such a great response with our Ahsoka episode, and it was just really heartwarming. And a lot of you guys seemed to like that um, when we took in those responses and then when um, all of you listening were able to hear everyone's responses. So we'd really like to do the same thing with Padme because she is an equally important character. So please send them, like Charlotte said, to our email, skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter, our personal handles. You know where to find us. Yes, and as soon as possible if because – Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> the bonus episode will be coming out relatively soon. So yes, send those when you can. So we also got an excellent email in regards to our Queen Shadow discussion. So if you are remaining Queen Shadow spoilers free, skip ahead about four minutes because we're going to read this email. So we got an amazing email from a listener named Kyle. And we wanted to read it on this on the show because it honestly changed our opinions about Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. And I... 
you guys have been listening to us for a long time, you know that I think we both have kind of controversial opinions about Qui-Gon. We think he's a little annoying and <laughs> frustrating in some circumstances in The Phantom Menace. I think that we both like respect his um, viewpoints on the Force and everything, but I think that it I don't know. I think we're always looking for our opinions and our first impressions of Qui-Gon to change a little bit. And this definitely did. So in Queen Shadow, it is revealed that Qui-Gon knew the entire time that Padme was a handmaiden uh, or Padme was Padme, the queen on Tatooine when they were there. And this kind of we didn't really know how to feel about it. I thought that it had lessened her um, her reveal and her fooling them. But Kyle had a different take. And I actually, I think we both agree with it. So we mm-hmm. wanted to read it. Do you want to read it, Caitlin? Yeah, I'll go for it. So Kyle writes, while I was listening to your Queen Shadow episode, I noticed you talking about how the book reveals that Qui-Gon knew all along that Padme was Queen Amidala. I don't think this was revealed by the book, though. This is something that was actually revealed by George Lucas back in the day. If you watch the DVD commentary for The Phantom Menace, George actually says this outright during the scene when Padme reveals herself as the queen to Boss Ness. I can't find the commentary track online, but I popped in my DVD and here's what George says. Quote, George Lucas, throughout the film, I've been playing with the fact earlier on that Qui-Gon knows that Padme is the queen and he uses that, especially when they go to Tatooine. He taunts her a couple of times and in the pod race, he taunts her a couple of times because he's just having fun with her because he knows she's the queen. But the others around her don't, so he's been waiting for her to step forward and reveal herself. Anakin is completely surprised, but Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon aren't, end quote. First of all, try not to read that in George whiny, George's whiny voice. Second, <laughs> I actually like that Qui-Gon knows. While I understand not wanting to diminish Padme by having her not fool him, I don't think it actually does diminish her. It's really hard to trick a Jedi. Poe Dameron is really good at what he does, but Kylo Ren is still able to pull information out of his head through the Force in the interrogation room in The Force Awakens. That doesn't diminish his character. Neither does this diminish Padme. She's really good at what she does, and she and Sabe are great at the old switcheroo. But it's just really, really tough to fool a Jedi. No no disrespect to Padme. Also, I think this paints Qui-Gon in a much more positive light. In your Phantom Menace Machete Order episode, you both mentioned how Qui-Gon completely dominates and overrides all of Padme's decisions on Tatooine. From this perspective, he comes off as a bit of a misogynistic jerk who dismisses her because she's a young girl. But given this perspective, that's not what he's doing. Like George said, he's been waiting for her to step forward and reveal herself. I think that's pretty cool of him to give her the freedom to come forward with her secret the way she wants to, instead of spilling the beans or forcing her hand. It's her secret to reveal, and he respects that. Also, given this perspective, he's not dismissing her. He's toying with her. He knows she's the queen, and he knows she's probably... And he knows that she probably knows he knows, but as long as she's not willing to admit it, he's taking advantage of temporarily having the upper hand. When he says, let's Let's bet everything on a small boy pod racing. And she says, no, that's reckless and stupid. He doesn't go on car plot and yell quiet girl. He says, the queen trusts my judgment. You should too. He's calling her bluff. He's basically saying, saying, well, if the queen was here, she would outrank me. But she's not here unless you have something to tell us. (laughs) At any moment, if Padme decided to pull rank on him, he would have fallen into line and followed her command. But since he didn't, he took advantage of her temporary power of his temporary power in the situation and had fun doing so. I just wanted to point out the George quote from the DVD so you're aware. I totally get your point about not wanting to diminish Padme, but I don't think it does. And I also think it makes Qui-Gon more sympathetic too. So I can't wait for more Sky Talkers and the Resistance finale episode. And he's totally here for the Niku theory. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you, Kyle, so much for your email. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to like pop in your DVD. Um, And I think you're totally right. You totally changed my mind and my perspective of things like 100%. 
Yeah. And I even watched The Phantom Menace the other day and with this new learning about Queen Shadow and just this perspective that was brought in from Kyle. And I totally agree. I, I actually really do agree. And I think that that will carry over hopefully when we read Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray coming out soon. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of see Qui-Gon in a little bit of a different light. Yeah, I've been waiting for Master and Apprentice to change my perspective about Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. Not even to change it, but just to give me more understanding about him. Um, but Kyle, you have definitely started the ball rolling. And uh, like Charlotte said, I totally agree with your reading. Um, I haven't watched The Phantom Menace yet. I've watched pieces of it um, <laughs> after reading Queen's Shadow, but I haven't completely rewatched it. So I'm excited to do that. Um, and your email will definitely be at the front of my mind while I do. Great. Okay. So in our Padme discussion, in part one, we're going to be talking about our first impressions and her impact. In part two, we're going to be talking about her character arc throughout the films. And in part three, we're going to be talking about her clothing and costumes. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. All right, welcome to part one where we're talking all about first impressions and impact. And if you've been around Sky Talkers for any amount of time, you know that Padme Amidala is Charlotte's number one ride or die character in Star Wars. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think that you should actually start and tell us what your first impression of Padme was. Did you immediately love her or was it something that came after Revenge of the Sith? I immediately loved her, but I have to say I immediately loved her in Revenge of the Sith. I think that you guys, if you remember my intro to Star Wars, I saw The Phantom Menace, I was five, left because it was too loud. Um, So I guess I didn't immediately love her when I was five. (laughs) But but I think that what matters is that I watched the original trilogy but had never seen the prequels, essentially. And in when I went to go see Revenge of the Sith, I was completely enamored with this woman character, Padme, which I think is kind of a unpopular opinion. I don't think that like it will reveal itself in our discussion. I think that people don't necessarily think when they think about Padme, they don't think about her role in Revenge of the Sith. But this was always my favorite part of Padme. I loved this role and I loved her in it. And I thought she was extremely feminine and womanly and I I loved it and I I thought that you know I'm (laughs) I have brown hair I was like oh I look like her (laughs) like this is great so for me my first impression was always oh I identify I sympathize with this woman character and it's easy to sympathize with Padme because in Revenge of the Sith because everything that's happening around her and if you can you know watch the movie with like basically no knowledge at all you can tell that she's passionate about politics she's passionate about anakin and both those things are completely crumbling around her so Aww. you feel bad about her <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> i mean it's sad and i think that that was my first impression what about you I think it's interesting because my relationship to the prequels is so much defined by like how you showed them to me and so you were a hundred percent into Padme and Anakin and it's funny Mm -hmm. because when we talk about you introducing me to Star Wars it's always like oh you were sitting behind me in English class and like you had Hayden Christensen all over your binder and like Anakin Skywalker and while that's true what I think we don't actually talk a lot about though is that like Padme was a big part of that too and it's funny (laughs) because I never I feel like my first association with her was always her politics because that's kind of how you introduced her to me in a way Mm -hmm. and then too you know, kind of reflecting back on it the past couple of days when we were 
preparing for this episode, um, I found myself, as per usual, going back to like our fan video life because that was for me, the politics of Star Wars has always been something that was a little bit more difficult for me to understand when I was growing up and when I was first watching them. And so it wasn't ever something that I really returned to all that often until honestly, we started watching Star Wars in Machete Order and things started to make a lot more sense to me. It just wasn't a part of Star Wars that ever really interested me until much later on in my fandom life. But I remember like using fan videos as a way to like heighten the emotion of what was going on in these films for me. Um, And two, I watched the fan videos of the prequel trilogy before I actually finished watching the actual prequel trilogy (laughs) Um, because I was so excited to like see what happened next. And a big part of that were like these Annie Dalla fan videos. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like that – a lot of my like memories of Padme are through like fan videos and like angsty music because her story is so tragic. But there's also – it was like the way I introduced myself to her was through like her tragedy. But then like the stories that I got from you or like just how you talked about her was from like the political side of things, which – thinking more about recently as I've become more interested in that side of Star Wars in the past like five years or so. And then like now through like Queen Shadow and stuff like that, I have a much greater appreciation for myself, if that makes sense. Because I liked, you know, like I listen to what you say because you're my best friend and like that's the character you like talking about. But it's like now I feel like I appreciate that more for myself rather than just appreciating what it means to you. That's the goal. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's the goal. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad that that happened. For me also, like I didn't mention this, but a big part of me liking Padme has to do with her outfits. And that's Mm -hmm. why we've devoted a whole section in this discussion to her talking about her outfits. But yeah, I loved clothes. I thought I really wanted to be in in fashion when I was younger. And it was, I don't know, Padme is the most overtly feminine, the most overtly fashionable character in all of Star Wars. And it's easy to kind of want to see yourself as that. And I did. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I think sometimes some of the critique of Padme um, is that like, oh, she's just all about clothes. Or like that's what people – sometimes that feels like that can be the only thing people talk about in relation to her or want to point Mm -hmm. out about her. But they forget that like so much of that was a conscious choice by George, by the production team. Um, Like her clothes are supposed to say something and – that's not the only thing about her, though. And they all – like, all of these pieces, her romantic life, her political life, her fashion choices, like, the aesthetics of her life all come together for this really layered character. Sometimes yeah. those layers aren't explored enough in the film, which I think is pretty clear. But that doesn't mean, like, they're not there. And now in this day and age of Star Wars or something like Queen Shadow with Clone Wars, with her comic, like, we're able to dive into more of those – more of that structure that was kind of set up in the prequel trilogy, but wasn't necessarily explored in depth. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that I just a, a thought came to me when we were discuss when you were just talking there about how Padme is pretty defined by her clothes. Like people loved, like you said, people love to talk about her clothes, but I don't think she's once in the movies ever referenced her outfits. Mm-hmm. She's not someone who's like. And I think that she could, totally could have been. She could have been like, oh, man, these, you know, the queens, uh, this, you know, something like that. <laughs> but it wasn't like that at all. And I think that she just kind of owned that. And I loved that as well, that kind of extra vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, her packing in Attack of the Clones and she has like 40 suitcases. Yeah. Love that. The packing outfit. 
Yeah, but she's it, there's no comment about like, oh uh, yeah, I like to bring a lot of outfits, you know? Yeah, or like, anything oh, you're like such that. a heavy packer, like pack light. Yeah, and it wasn't. It's never anything that was like her liking and wearing all these really intense clothes isn't a detriment to her character at all. It actually adds to it, and even in universe as well. Mm-hmm, yeah, and it's something that anyone else also points out too, as if like this is abnormal for her to mm-hmm. have this kind of interest in fashion. Right. I love I love that because I think that it just encourages a little bit more femininity in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I think we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves though. Yes. <laughs> this is not part three. This is part one. Okay, so let's talk about her impact in the story and let's go back to the maker himself, George Lucas, and what he had to say about Padme. Okay. I when I was researching this, I found, which is perhaps unsurprising, very little documentation about you know, George's creation of Padme the character. And I personally don't own any sort of like making of The Phantom Menace. And if I do, it's at my parents' house. I actually think I do, but (laughs) I don't have it with me, so I can't really uh, thumb through it. But um, what I found is um, a couple of quotes from George, and I'll just read them. And this is him in the original trilogy. The first version, and he's talking about the original trilogy. The first version talks about a princess and an old general. The second version involved a father, his son, and his daughter. The daughter was the heroine of the film. Now the daughter has become Luke, Mark Hamill's character. There was also a story of two brothers where I transformed one of them into a sister. The older brother was imprisoned and the young sister had to rescue him and bring him back to their dad. So, end quote. Um, <laughs> the thing that's interesting about this is like, there was never a mother mentioned. <laughs> And I find that so sad, <laughs> even though I do think that there's like, it's nice that George originally kind of conceived his story involving a boy and a girl or just the girl as the main character. Love that. But there was never really a mother involved. So then another quote from George is later in almost the Return of the Jedi era. The part I never really developed is the death of Luke and Leia's mother. I had a backstory for her in earlier drafts, but it basically didn't survive. When I got to Jedi, I wanted one of the kids to have some kind of memory of her because she will be a key figure in the new episodes I'm writing. But I really debating debated whether or not Leia should remember her. <laughs> it's so funny because that's something that's still so debated. <laughs> no, that's what I thought. It's uh, so much. I come back to this quote because I think that, again, it just proves that, you know, George really hadn't thought too much about who Padme was going to be. And, but I do like, I like that he, like, tried to incorporate it into the original trilogy. Like, that's not for lack of trying. I'm happy that there's that line, even though it doesn't exactly make a lot of sense. Like, you have to pull a lot of mental strings to make it work. (laughs) (laughs) You have to close a lot of loopholes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you really do. And it's just not – it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> like at the at the end of the day, it really doesn't. Well, it's funny because you, you look at what he says here about how, you know, she was going to be a key figure in the new episodes I'm writing. And that wasn't ever something – like you said, like back in A New Hope, that wasn't something that was really top of his mind was the mother figure. It was like it's always about the role the father is playing in these kids' lives, whether the kid was – the brother or the sister, whether they were boy twins, girls, whoever it was. It was all about, like, the father figure. And then mm-hmm. it's like he's continued this story and suddenly it's like, okay, like, how did the father get here? At some point there was a mother. Okay, who was the mother? And it's kind of like this 
trail of the story that he's following. And But I think it's – I don't know. I think it's cool that when he finally did decide to write The Mother – it's funny because I, I feel like we're talking about How I Met Your Mother, the show, and <laughs> how that character was always called The Mother. Um But, like, when he's starting to formulate Padme, I just think it's cool that, like, the character that he decided to write her as, um, even if he hadn't thought of it at the very start of Star Wars, you know, back in the 70s, was this really strong, politically active woman. Um, Right. I just think that's cool. Like, she could have just been this other Jedi or someone from – like, another slave that Anakin knew um, that he, like, went back to rescue, like, damsel in distress style, you know? And, like, there certainly is that damsel in distress element to Padme that, like, Anakin is the Jedi who's, like, fighting off her assassinator. Padme rescues herself. (laughs) And, like – but there's that element there. But, like, he chose not to go in that direction. Like, he chose to have her in, like, a diametrically opposed – social position both in mm-hmm. age in status and like social wealth i just think that's really cool i do too i think that it's such a bold move you're so right that of course you know luke would have a like you think that if you follow the footsteps of george's creation the easy thought would be luke and leia know nothing about their parents so obviously they were jedi because luke has jedi powers and leia probably does too so they were probably both jedi But that's not what we have here. We have a character who is, I guess, a Jedi. And we have a character who's like a politician, like Leia. And here's a quote from uh, George, George when he was talking about the script for The Phantom Menace. He envisioned a link between Padme and Princess Leia, the daughter who follows so closely in her footsteps. I love that he chose to have her go into political service in the same way that Leia was hinted at, even though we never really saw that in action, but really extrapolate upon that and make it like a central figure to who Padme was and who what Padme believes in. It's it it feels like it would be the easiest thing for her to be a Jedi, but she's not. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can argue on the other side that it feels quite easy that you have a Princess Leia character. And if you're thinking about who her mother is going to be, I guess she's a queen. In her past, she was a queen. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that's like you can argue that. And that's true. But it's not just like Leia wasn't the ordinary princess. Padme was never the ordinary queen either. I think that Mm -hmm. she had all these, you know, beautiful gowns and the most royal lush uh, palace and everything like that. But she showed us time and time again that she's more than just this figurehead. She, you know, fought for her planet. She's a handmaiden. She can be outside of those, you know, extremely stereotypical historically referenced costumes and be a warrior. I think she has even been described as like an Amazon type character who can be honestly both. So I, I think I think it's really interesting and e- you can you can argue that it's like it's easy that he went for the queen, but George totally reversed what our thinkings of what a queen would be uh, and what a queen looks like. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy when you're talking about Padme to focus on a lot of the critiques and like the what could have been as far mm-hmm. as like her character, and obviously that's a we'll talk about that too because I think that's a necessary and valid critique of the prequels um, is the the function of Padme's character. But I think you also have to remember kind of what we've been talking about is that – not remember, but just keep in consideration that there are so many other ways it could have gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the fact that like 
he did choose to put her in this position of power really says something too. And not just that she was a queen, but that she like continued her public service into senatorship. Like Padme wasn't just about, you know, because like you said, like it kind of changed our definition of a queen, of a queen being someone who's, you know, super pampered and protected and um, needs to be kept safe and is a figurehead. Um, But Padme was none of those things. And she wasn't from the very beginning. Um, And even if that wasn't always explored very well in the stories, that framework was always there around her character um, where it could have been very different. Like, like we said, like her just being another Jedi or honestly, like you could have written a story where you didn't actually need the mother Mm -hmm. that she was kind of like Anakin's father, like just immaculate conception or, you know, was just someone that Anakin met one time and was never talked about again. Yeah. She didn't, exactly have to be weave, oh, weaved, woven through the entire prequel trilogy. Yeah. She, she didn't have to be. Mm-hmm. She really didn't. And so it could have, like her story could have progressed in a lot of different ways. And, and you know, we talk a lot about the how it's difficult and frustrating to have characters like Padme and Leia and Rey all continually written from a man's perspective. And I stand by that 100%. And a lot of like issues and problems and frustrations could be solved with more women in the writer's room or in more women just like taking over writing for those roles. <laughs> and obviously, I think it's clear when you look at how George and other men talk about Padme and Leia that they're Writing – like, their main characters are men, and so the women are acting as, like, reactionary characters to our men a lot of the times. But that doesn't mean that there aren't positive traits in the women and that they aren't, like, fully fleshed out characters and are becoming fully fleshed out characters, like Padme. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the great things about Star Wars is that, yes, like, there are a lot of issues with the prequels and there are things that George and, you know, 100 other people could have done differently to perhaps change some things in those stories. But because Star Wars is so long-lasting, it's like, oh, well, now we get people like E.K. Johnston and Kat Tabor and, like, writers on Clone Wars, like, coming in and they're like, okay, yes, that was a weakness in Star Wars, Let's, like, continue her story in new directions and see more layers to it. And that's Mm -hmm. something just, like, so special about Star Wars that is so unique to other franchises. Um, And we're really fortunate in that sense, I think. Um, For as much as there can be frustrations in in how women are written in stories with Star Wars, there is at least opportunity and room for change. Mm -hmm. Whenever I can hear Natalie Portman talk about her relationship with Padme, it like fills me with so much joy and Mm -hmm. it just really gives me – I am so hopeful that she shows up to Celebration just to even speak like two sentences about her role (laughs) as Padme. I would die. I would definitely cry. Even like a video. Oh my God. Even a video. (laughs) Anything where – Natalie Portman can reflect upon her character. I am like internal, like eternally grateful. I really am. And because I do, she's, you know, such a high profile actress and Oscar winner that she has definitely thought about this character so much. And this quote has always stuck with me. And it's from the Revenge of the Sith bonus features. Like, I even remember watching this when I was younger and being like, absolutely. Yes, this is why I love her. So here's the quote I think the role is really sort of what the true meaning of feminism in my interpretation of it. I think what true feminism is, is bringing what's particular about women, because we are different, that's undeniable, to the opportunities that men have. So it's not just going into some place and behaving like a man or necessarily desiring what men want just because you can get it. 
And so without being consumed for the thirst of power, as many of the people around her do, both men and women, she stays true to her compassion and her belief in democracy and humanity. Ah, so good. good. That's good. We talk so much about how Padme is the moral compass of the prequels and everything she says is essentially right. Like she, (laughs) she understands the situation often before anyone else does. And that's something I love about her as well. But I have said this, I guess, like 10 times in this episode already, but I do love that Padme is overtly feminine. Yeah, I like how she puts, there's like this great, I mean, you got to remember like how young Natalie Portman is when she's saying this she's like what 19 well, 21 no 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 because this is revenge of the seth so she she's was still really young <laughs> she was like 24 she's still pretty young yeah but i like what she says about how it's not just going into some place and behaving like a man or necessarily desiring what men want i think that's like so important and like so relevant even in today's world with like films like Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman and like Rey in Star Wars this idea that like that like horrible thing of like a strong female character you know it's like oh my god i'm so sick of hearing about strong female characters because often what people are talking about is like oh she doesn't need a love interest and that that inherently makes a female character weak or that by wanting to be a mother like that makes the female character weak or wanting to have feminine clothes that that means she's not strong and i like how padme like very subtly and very nonchalantly is just like no i want to be a good person I want to lead people. I want to help people, genuinely help them. And I want to look good while I'm doing it. (laughs) And none of that like detracts. And like we mentioned earlier, like no one even talks about it as a weird thing. No one's like, oh, that queen with all of her crazy headdresses or that senator with all of her like flowy backless dresses. It's just like that's who she is. Um, And that – is nothing that she, like you said, like she's never shied away from or been ashamed of or felt the need to like cover up. But then at the same time, it's like, yeah, she's with, when she's with Anakin, she immediately takes, like in Attack of the Clone, she just like takes charge of the situation. It's like, oh, I've got to go rescue Obi-Wan, like now, like I'm going. Mm-hmm. Are you coming? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like she doesn't wait. Um, and I think that that's like so important. And I, and I, I really like that quote from Natalie about like it's not behaving like a man and it's not even necessarily wanting what they want because – Women in a lot of ways are like biologically coded to like want children and to be a mother. <laughs> and so often that can be seen as a negative thing. And I like how Natalie takes time to point out that that's not bad for Padme to want those things. Right. And that was definitely on her mind when she was reflecting on Revenge of the Sith, especially. Yeah. Yeah, especially. There's another quote that I wanted to bring that I actually had in the notes for later, but I I thought it would be good to bring up now. And it's about a it's from a review of the prequels and Padme's character from Space.com from a writer named Paul F. McDonald. And I thought it was really good because I'll I'll read it and then we can go into it. Unlike other characters whose personalities are divided and usually warring against one another, her dual nature works to her advantage. And this was in reference to her queen, um, her queen tendencies. And it's something that we definitely got into in our queen shadow discussion about how she's dueling between queen and handmaiden or queen and Padme. And I, I think that it is really interesting because while Padme is presented as someone who has this dual nature, this politician in a private side, that's never really something that, I mean, of course it, it's, it causes conflict. It's a secret love affair, but it's not causing her personal conflict. It's not causing her 
to be seen as evil in any way. And I think that there's, when we talk about characters and character arcs in general in Star Wars, I think that what comes up often is, you know, I think Darth Vader is the best example, which is just ironic given the fact that she, that's who she marries. Maybe it's not ironic, maybe this is on purpose, that she can represent what it means to be a dual person and kind of have these two attributes and two uh, public faces and do that well. But instead, we have Darth Vader, who like isn't that at all. And I think that there's <laughs> there's so there's so much of like dualism that's going on in Star Wars and Padme represents like the positive side of that in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she does kind of have that balance there between her public and private life. And there's certainly, like you said, there's certainly conflict and complications with that. And it's definitely not the best thing that they're keeping this secret love affair, but it never compromises Padme's, her obligations to her politics or to her personal beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely challenges them, especially in Revenge of the Sith when she, you know, just of course. can't believe that Anakin, has Anakin what, would do this. Yeah, that Obi-Wan has said what he said, of course. Mm-hmm. But she still maintains like true to her core and to her morals, whereas with Anakin, he doesn't. And Obi-Wan even falters on that too when he like seriously contemplates killing Anakin. Yeah. What, what you just referenced and you used the word balance, I think, is the perfect word and a word that comes up all the time oh, throughout balance. Star Wars. But Padme is extremely balanced. Balance. I mean, I think that she has always sought her in her relationship with Anakin balance and maybe that was impossible but Padme herself is extremely balanced she knows who she is and won't compromise on that I think the like the the discussion of balance can has often been difficult with Anakin and Padme because like they shouldn't have had this kind of torrid love affair um Mm -hmm. and that it's like you can easily say that like Padme is unbalanced or is um two-faced not in like the sense that we usually mean two-faced but that she's like living these very different lives of public and private life and be like oh well that means she's not balanced in her life um but she is you know like like we've been talking about like she is at her core like she's never wavered in her beliefs even as she's faced these challenges and and made these mistakes of you know having this secret affair um which isn't good (laughs) but it still hasn't changed who she is it's added complication into her life and chaos and tragedy but she's still like the same person and she would have been had their affair been made public too. Let's talk about let's go into her character arc because we're hinting at it and I think we should do it. We should. All right, let's move on to part 2. <laughs> Okay, so welcome to part two. And I just wanted to kind of skip here because I think we're edging up against talking about her character arc and who she is um, and what she represents within like the way the story is working. And the first question I wanted to tackle was kind of the most basic one given our other character discussions. And the question is, does Padme follow the hero's journey or the heroine's journey? I don't think so. I think it's hard to say that she does, especially within the films, just because she's not a main character. It's hard. It's really hard to say that because I think that in a lot of ways, Padme is the main character of The Phantom Menace. Yeah. She is the one who is challenged. Her planet is the one that is challenged. I think that she is the protagonist of The Phantom Menace, but she doesn't have a traditional hero's journey or even a heroine's journey. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that necessarily matters. Like, it doesn't, in order yeah. to make a good story, you don't need a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that she is tested and. 
um, put under trial in her own way in in doesn't follow this like Campbellian theory. Yeah. I mean, just because a character doesn't go on the hero or heroine's journey in our classical myth-making franchise of Star Wars doesn't mean that it's bad or that they're bad right. characters. It's like you don't have to follow that trajectory um, in order to be a quote-unquote good character. Um, I think you're right. I think it's hard with The Phantom Menace because she is the main character. She's solidly in that role, but it shifts so much given the huge time leap forward and now that like Anakin has become the main character. It's rough because it's like (laughs) she is the one who is – the Phantom Menace, yes, it is easy to look at her and think, okay, you are the one that's put under duress. You're the one that is – the story is essentially revolving around you and your planet. And everything that happens alongside of it is generally because of your plot points. Like, they wouldn't have stopped on it on Tatooine if it hadn't been for her dire need to get to Coruscant to ask for the Senate's approval and help. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, all of that wouldn't have happened without her. And she wouldn't have been faced with, like, these choices of leaving her planet under stress and also returning to her planet despite knowing that her planet has gone to chaos and internment camps. And I think that Padme is the protagonist of The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, especially Attack of the Clones. Um, Again, the story is really put into motion because of her. The movie starts with her, but she is completely reactionary in Revenge of the Sith. And I think even in the bonus features, you watch the bonus features of Revenge of the Sith, you hear Natalie be like, yeah, you know, <laughs> this is Anakin's story. Like Padme's had her story. Like this is Anakin's story. And here she is watching things crumble. And I think that's a really rough thing about tragedies and the very nature of how dark and grim Revenge of the Sith is. Obviously, I do believe that they could have written her character more. I do wish that those deleted scenes were in it and everything. But at the end of the day, she would have probably been a little bit always be reactionary to Anakin. I think that that's just like inevitable for the very fact that her husband turns to Darth Vader. <laughs> like yeah. that has to happen. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, Vader takes center stage kind of wherever he goes. And yeah, I mean, it's that- kind of like what, how JJ talks about Luke. It's like yeah. once that piece is on the table and has to happen, it takes over the whole story. Yeah, and it was always going to take over that story. Um, right. It could have been changed in certain ways, like you said, with like the inclusion of the deleted scenes or you know a million other different reasons. But it was probably always going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I guess that that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like, oh, well, would it have been better than to have just had this like unidentifiable mother and focused all of our time on Anakin? No. No. Like we need a woman character. Yeah, exactly. And it's like with that comes the difficulties of having that character who inevitably is going to meet a tragic end. I mean, that's part Mm -hmm. of the whole tragedy of the prequels. I feel like we haven't said that in a long time. Um, (laughs) Is that like – He's going to turn to Darth Vader. She's not around. What happens to right. her? Um, she's probably dead. <laughs> right. So you have to get to that point. And um, for that tragedy to have the greatest impact, it has to have the greatest impact on Anakin. And so mm-hmm. it means that, like, we're going to be looking at her through his point of view for most of the film. Yeah. Why don't we trace her character journey throughout the prequels? Are you ready? I'm ready. 
So it's really interesting when you think about the Phantom Menace from like just thinking about Padme. And with all of these, I think we're going to do that. Because I think that there's so much going on in The Phantom Menace that even though I think that her story perhaps is the most, in my opinion, interesting and like developed, it gets kind of lost in all this stuff because <laughs> that's that's The Phantom Menace. <laughs> but if you like, if you just read these out, it's like, whoa, that's a big story. She's an elected queen at 14. She's forced under invasion from an external force, the Trade Federation, and has to make a huge difficult choice of leaving her people and leaving her planet to, in their time of need, to try to, you know, beg for aid from the Senate. You know, she makes a few stops along the way because she has, they have to get out through this blockade that is, you know, a war zone <laughs> and then they have to stop on this desert planet when i say they i really mean padme all of this is padme and she stop on the desert planet and she has to kind of resign the fact that at this point qui-gon is kind of calling the shots as he has kind of become the person that will be the liaison to make sure that they can get that hyperdrive and padme has to kind of take a back seat in her ability to kind of dictate what is going on. And I don't, I mean, dictate in like, obviously a neutral term, which I think by that email that we had Kyle send us before is it, it to me, it, it casts that whole part on a different light. Um, eventually, I think that when they get to Coruscant, Padme has to beg for help from the Senate and it doesn't work. And in fact, she in a way kind of embarrasses herself by jumping to conclusions to vote for a, uh, to call for a vote of no confidence in the current chancellor. And we see just mild queen shadow, queen shadow spoilers that we see that that kind of tarnishes her reputation later. But I think that eventually Padme has to realize when she decides to return back to Naboo, which is such a surprising move, the only way that she's able to succeed is by returning to her planet, which everyone is surprised by, but also uniting this ugly past of Naboo's and bringing that forward, like dredging that up and making them work together. And by them, I mean the gun guns. And this is you know, a hugely pivotal moment in Naboo's history. And it's something that I don't think I realized like the first 50 times I watched this movie. <laughs> but the very fact that Padme is like faced with this choice that she, in order to save her planet, she has to confront the ugly past of Naboo. <laughs> like the only way they're successful is by the Gungan's help. And that is undeniable, right? Like if they didn't have the army from the Gungan's, she they 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 would have been completely taken over by the trade federation and i think this is and i don't mean to bring in the sequel trilogy but it's kind of insane that she has to like wrangle the past and bring it forth and force people <laughs> to to look at it and consider its ugly ugly past is uh is kylo ren the gun gun in this analogy I mean, sorry but like it's really interesting to me that the the story of the Skywalker starts with like this is the um, like an underlying theme mm -hmm. is that they have to like bridge this this part of history in order to unite Naboo like the entire movie ends with the success and this bridging of peace on Naboo and it is this the the, the orb that is passed over from Padme to Boss Nass it's like the finally white light yeah and. <laughs> 
<laughs> the fact that the saga begins like this, of course, I think that this will have major repercussions for the ending of the saga as well. But all of this, like this is the whole story of the Phantom Menace and that is all Padme. And her realization that they have to, she has to do what she thinks is right and what is right helps them succeed. It is kind of crazy that the very first part of the Skywalker saga, the end of that story is about looking to the past in order to secure their future. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's like, it's really, it flies under the radar. (laughs) Well, it's funny because you could have had, like the entirety of the Phantom Menace could have been that story, (laughs) you know, but they're like, oh, well, put it, put it, put it at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there is so much going on in the Phantom Menace. (laughs) Yeah, well, the whole scene of Padme begging for help from Boss Nass is a pivotal scene. It's the scene where we understand that Padme and Sabe are two different people. And -hmm. it's also a pivotal scene where Padme, this, you know, royal, is begging on her knees for for help from these people that her, you know planet has completely forced to live in a hidden city underground Mm -hmm. and i think that it's something that when you're young i don't think you realize i mean obviously i think that the the racism metaphor is not even a metaphor i think it's there (laughs) i think that's subtext but i think that the fact that padme was able after all of these rulers had kind of put again pushed them underground into a hidden city had I think that's a major thing. It's a well, huge, it's, huge point. In, well, yeah, in it's like it's Star bringing, Wars. It's bringing that past trauma literally to the surface. Uh-huh. They've been underwater, underground, and it's quite literally dredging up all of that mm-hmm. dark history. When Star Wars is good, man, it's good with that balance, with that poetry. Ah, man, they know how to do it. (laughs) Yeah, I think that in terms of Padme's journey, though, I think it's definitely a coming-of-age story for her. I think that we obviously begin the film with her in such power. And if you think about Padme as just one person throughout the entire movie, you realize that here she is forced to leave her planet. And throughout it, it's like she's constantly being tested of her knowledge as a 14-year-old queen. I don't think people ever Mm -hmm. believe in her. And finally, at the end, it's proven that she was right. And I think that's like kind of Padme's whole thing, but it comes up like a ton in this one, in this movie. Yeah. I mean, just the kind of pressure that you get that you have to imagine she's under mm-hmm. this whole time is just kind of bananas. I mean, I always, whenever I watch The Phantom Menace, I think about us as 14 year olds. And I'm like, Ugh. I know. I know. This one, no. we're really getting into Star Wars too. It's like, yeah. I didn't. I didn't understand what was happening in The Phantom Menace when I was watching it when I was 14 years old. So how could I run a whole planet? No, I couldn't even balance one of those headdresses. I know. It would just be a mess. We would all – we would have all died. Yeah. Um, what I think would have been – what I hope we get to see more of is kind of how that relationship with Naboo, between Naboo and the Gun Guns like pittered out, which I thought was fun that we kind of got a bit of an update on that in Last Shot the Han Solo movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what the his Han Solo name book. Was. Han Solo book. Yes. Thank you. There's a gun gun in that book and he's like my favorite character. I think his, I can't remember his name. It starts with an A. But he like gives an update on like, oh yeah, that's not, things didn't actually like change all that much <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. And I thought that is, was 
interesting. It, it's so interesting because like Padme goes to such lengths and you have to wonder like what Queen Retalia, the next queen, did or didn't do to further that or were there further um, – like were there more – uh, arguments between Bothanas and the queen or the next leader of the Gungans. You know, like, how did that really change? Was that something Padme was involved in? Or was she, like, there at the Senate more? Which would be understandable, too, because part of, again, mild Queen's Shadow spoilers, part of what we see in Queen's Shadow is her, like, kind of understanding how to let go of Naboo entirely and kind of keep her eye on the bigger picture of the galaxy as a whole. Yeah, I think that her, by even making... Jar Jar representative who essentially works under her is a good was a really good step for the Naboo people I think to instill a gun gun in politics of course we know that that doesn't really go well for Jar Jar when she's she's out of it but like (laughs) I still think that like the move was there (laughs) yeah the intention the intention was there yeah the execution. Also, we do see Jar Jar. God, I swear, how many times has this come up? I haven't read Aftermath, but I know. Stop bringing it up. But I can't. I can't not. You you brought it up with the gun and gun and like where they come up in the rest of the, the canon. Yeah, but Aftermath is like so far down the line. Yeah, but there's like a there's a whole there's a whole little scene. I remember it, and I remember it making like circulating because it's really short about. Jar Jar and how he's essentially like starving. I could be wrong about this. What? On Naboo. Yeah. No. Yeah. You can't do that to Jar Jar. I mean. I, I think uh, Chuck Wendig did that to Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs> he should have gone to that planet and last shot where the other gun gun was. <laughs> oh Yeah. We haven't read Aftermath. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Attack the Clones because. Yeah. I love Attack the Clones. I know. And the the best part about Attack of the Clones is, yes, Padme is super right in The Phantom Menace, but Padme has never been more on the nose about anything than in... I mean, I guess she's, like, super on the nose when she dies and says there's good in Anakin, but... (laughs) (laughs) God. (laughs) But she's, like... (laughs) I guess when she dies. But she... Too soon. Within the first five minutes of Attack of the Clones, she like knows what's going on. <laughs> she she knows she like she's already known what's going on, and she just completely takes control of the situation. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So her character in Attack of the Clones is like it's essentially this: someone is trying to kill her. She knows who it is, but no one will listen to her. And then, like things get dire because no one is listening to her. <laughs> and then I think that all these different parties try to like patch up this problem in other different ways once with the the senate and palpatine by giving her a jedi protector and she's kind of forced then to kind of simmer down and uh leave coruscant to relax a little and it's it's ironic because i don't think she has any i don't think she should be relaxing like they should be following up who she thinks is trying to kill her. She literally mm-hmm. says, everyone, she says, I think Count Dooku's behind it. <laughs> I can't handle <laughs> It's like, all right, well, plot that- over. <laughs> <laughs> she says that in Palpatine's office, though. And Palpatine mm-hmm. knows that Dooku is trying to kill her. So, of course, he's going to be like, oh, no. 
<laughs> True. Hush. Mm-hmm. But I love her face. She has some really great stank faces. Yeah. And side eye part. faces. She's like closes her mouth and is kind of like lifts mm. up her chin. Yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> My favorite line in Attack of the Clones from Padme is when she tells Anakin to stop staring at her. He's like, why? I'm trying to be it like makes me sultry. And he, she's like, it makes me uncomfortable. And like turns away. <laughs> It's so good. And then Anakin just like is such a freaking creep. I love him, but <laughs> you can say and that I really like that scene. Him. I think it's funny. But yeah, I can say that with love. But it's just it's funny the way he's like he essentially, without even doing it, he's like biting his lip as he watching is watching her go. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's thought about her every day for ten years. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, an important part of her story, though, in Attack the Clones is definitely her needing to kind of shed this layer of Senator Padme and kind of kind of fold into the landscape of Naboo's Lake Country, which is so reflective of where her mind, like where they everyone thinks her mind should be. And eventually she relinquishes that and... um lets herself essentially fall in love with Anakin. Mm -hmm. But even when I think that you said earlier in the episode about how they make the, another pit stop to Tatooine. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's um, always coming back to Tatooine. <laughs> yeah. It's like Jakku. Why does everyone want to go back to Jakku? I feel like Padme and Finn would have some really good conversations about the desert planets they've respectively had to be dragged to. Yeah. Yeah. Even though Padme was willing to go and help Anakin, I think that that was definitely a crucial point in their relationship in that that moment where Padme says, oh, I'll go with you. Yeah. Let's 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 do this. Let's like uncover some of, you know, what has been plaguing you so much. You're Mm -hmm. protecting me. I can help you. Yeah. Well, it's nice, too, because Queen Shadow gives her another motivation there. Mm -hmm. It's not just about him. It's also kind of returning some more agency to Padme herself. Yeah, but I th- I still think that it can just be about him. I, I think mean, it that- can be. It definitely can be. But it's considering like Revenge of the Sith is solely about Padme's feelings towards Anakin. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have like this little layer back in to Attack mm-hmm. of the Clones because Attack of the Clones she does do a lot. Like she takes control of a lot of situations. It's, it's very brassy um, and. Not combative, but I mean, she's literally combative at the end in Geonosis. But like, like this is what we're going to do, Anakin. Here we go. <laughs> it was really nice because I think often I hear that like the bridge between the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones is kind of hard for some people to draw just mm-hmm. because, you know, there's a different Anakin actor. It's been 10 long years and things have changed a ton. And now you have Hayden Christensen, who is new and everything like that. But I do think that it was it's a good reminder that... Padme has an emotional connection to Shmi as well and has been on Tatooine and experienced that. And when she was on Tatooine, I didn't mention this in when, you know, uncovering her arc in The Phantom Menace, but a lot of her kind of naivete went away when she realized that slavery still exists in the galaxy and they're Mm -hmm. so far out that the Republic doesn't necessarily outstretch to Tatooine, you know, controlled by the Huts. And I think that was a really like pivotal moment for her. And again, we keep bringing up Queen Shadow, but I think it's 
it's, it's good that we do because I think that that means that the book had a lot of impact on how we think about Padme. And it's clear that that helped her understand how important the Republic was to her and how it could help people. And the fact that it didn't reach Tatooine was something that needed to be changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it was, again, like this reminder for her that there's so much more going on besides just the issues on Naboo. Like in the midst of her and this really like big crisis of her own as a ruler of her own planet. And it's like, oh my God, look what's happening here. You know, kind of like that grass isn't always greener on the other side kind of concept, I think. Mm -hmm. I I think that a big part of – Padme is like in in the middle of Attack of the Clones what is happening to Padme can be summed up by this quote from Sola her sister in the Attack of the Clones novelization which I'm aware is not canon but I still think it's an interesting quote she says (laughs) you're so tied up in your responsibilities that you don't give any weight to your desires and I think right before they're about to die when they're on Geonosis and before then when Padme takes control and you know they go rescue Obi-Wan I think Padme takes control of that situation but she also takes control of her own emotions and has to finally lean into her desires Mm -hmm. and you know tell the person that she is falling in love with that she loves them before they die i always wondered if she knew that i mean i always i think that's like heavily debated in fandom or used to be maybe not so much anymore about like whether or not she would regret that later of you know saying that before she dies but before she thinks she's gonna die Hmm. um and changing everything What's nice about that line in particular, canon notwithstanding, is uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier about Padme having a lot of balance morally, even if her life is kind of unbalanced with the affair and her marriage Mm -hmm. and her political life. And this like part of her journey in Attack of the Clones is like kind of bringing that balance in Mm -hmm. um, with what her sister says. You know, you're so tied up in your responsibilities, you don't give weight to your desires. And she was basically like, living that mentality of like all work, no play mm-hmm. um, and like kind of refusing herself to f- refusing to allow herself to feel those things and give into those emotions. However, misguided they might have been not misguided, but um, inopportune, I guess I could say. Yeah. I don't know. I think that the movie ends. I mean, the movie ends in an interesting place because it's so ominous the way that you have the shot of the the clone army being assembled and then it, and the Imperial March plays, and then it cuts to Anakin and Padme getting married and their wedding. Yeah. Their, yeah. Their wedding. And it's like she's given into her desires. They both have. But the scene that you literally just saw play the Imperial March, and <laughs> you want to be happy for the fact that, you know, they're back at this place where Padme allowed herself to give in, where Anakin as well also allowed himself to give in and no inhibition, you know? Mm hmm. But I I feel like you don't really feel that because there's that air of uneasy, especially from what just came before in the scene. Mm-hmm. Well, this is – I mean, we talk all the time about The Last Jedi being the darker middle chapter. This and, is the darker middle this, chapter. Yeah, of the prequels. But it's so interesting that it ends on a wedding, which mm-hmm. is such like a joyful occasion. But you don't see like Anakin and Padme smiling in that moment um, because – Well, it's interesting because, you know, her feeling the weight of her desires giving in, she also brings in, like, the weight of that burden of Mm -hmm. being in love with him. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I 
yeah, they're not like it's not a joyful wedding. It's like it's this not. Is, it's almost like this. We can't go back from this. Like this has to be done. Yeah. Well, it's funny because um, you know we talk a lot too about like the contradiction of the visuals of the prequels of how everything is shiny and new and you know the clothing is supposed to attract attention um, but Mm -hmm. you kind of can't judge a book by its cover because there's this evil lurking just beneath the surface like waiting for like this veneer basically Mm -hmm. um, or this uh, filter almost like everything Mm -hmm. kind of seems like it's got a sunset filter um, especially here at the end of Attack of the Clones. The autumn of Star Wars. Yes. (laughs) I love that. I love that comparison of Attack Mm -hmm. the Clones because it is so orangey. And it's like, it's because there's that feeling of ominous, the feeling of like incoming doom, just like autumn. Yeah. Like everything is dying and making way for winter where everything dies. Like it's it's such a nice contradiction though that George set up visually of, Mm -hmm. you know, this is your darker middle chapter, but it ends on a wedding. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really, it's, (laughs) it's really I think it's kind of it's really cool how well it's it's like that's how Star Wars is like I think we always this is me getting technical but we always say that Star Wars is tragedy and we laugh about it and Star Wars tragedy and it is but it's also a comedy because often it ends in in marriage and like Mm -hmm. even the ending of Return of the Jedi like I think the most basic definition of like Shakespearean comedy and Shakespearean drama is, you know, one ends in death and one ends in the comedy ends in marriage. Like that's the most basic definition. I think even you can, you can kind of say that return of the Jedi also in a way ends in marriage, just the way that like that, that final shot is like so joyful and happy and they're all together. And that's kind of what you mean by marriage when you discuss these kind of things. But interestingly, attack of the clones actually ends in a marriage, but it's not, super joyful well that's the weird thing about like the way the whole prequel of star wars is that attack of the clones is our darker middle chapter for the prequel trilogy but it's setting you up for revenge of the sith which is which is the darker middle chapter of the saga at the time Mm -hmm. of course now all of that has switched again but in regards to like anakin and padme you know empire strikes back ends on this hopefulness of luke and leia being together despite Han being separated from them. And yeah. then The Last Jedi also has this air of hopefulness with, you know, of course, Broom Boy and, and Leia and Rey. It always so, ends on a level of hope. Yeah, which is interesting with Attack of the Clones because we do have this wedding, which is quite hopeful. Um, and you're supposed to, like, you would want to feel kind of happy, like, in the midst of this political doom, there's this romance that is thriving. And you kind of do. You kind of do, but at the same time, because of how Star Wars is made, you know that, like, that dude's Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And so it <laughs> – and it's – and so that that feeling of hope is, like, so – is juxtaposed so closely to the impending doom, mm-hmm, like, on, a, on the most intimate level, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting. And then you kind of take it a step further and it's like, okay, yes um, – Anakin is like he's about to become the epitome of darkness like we all know that's where this story is headed and at this point it's like okay Padme is clearly going to be very involved in that and then when you look put it together with what you then see in Revenge of the Sith it's like Anakin is the carrier of doom basically Mm -hmm. of evil or he's about to be and then Padme is about to be the literal carrier of hope Mm -hmm. um, with the twins who will 
set in motion the, the whole next chapter. And they're like Anakin and Padme contain both of those within them um, that will start in the next film. Indeed. I've never talked this much about the ending of Attack of the Clones, but I'm well, really I, you can it. even go even further and say if there is any hope present, it's the fact that C3PO and R2D2 are present. And you know, like you can look at Anakin, like you say, and know that he is Darth Vader and that man becomes Darth Vader. You can look at Padme and know that she doesn't survive through the next episode. Mm -hmm. But you know that C-3PO and R2-D2 do and they meet their children and they meet their children's children and, you know, all of that. Bless. I know. And like that's – but that's Star Wars. (laughs) is like on one side of the frame, you have this tragedy. And on the other side of the frame, you have this hopefulness. (laughs) Yeah. And they're so close to each other. Um, And they always – they always are. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's how that's how mythology works. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So let's go into Ro- Return of, uh, Return of the Jedi. Rots. Whoa. <laughs> I was gonna say rots. You almost <laughs> said rots, and then you went to Return of the Jedi. Like, yeah. all right, bring on the Ewoks. Yeah. Yay. No, Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> <laughs> this is so hard though to trace Padme's story. It's like it's so frustrating mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's so much has so much was taken out with the rebellion subplot and. At the end of the day, her her plot really is, you know, she comes into the story, uh, like, full-term pregnancy and <laughs> and brings that news. Very mobile for a full-term pregnancy with twins, <laughs> my dad. Well, that's Padme. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, you know, hopeful that that dream that he had passed witnessed, that she had laid witness to coming true with his mother doesn't come true for her she's like sure it it won't just like a a side note about revenge of the sith is i feel like if you guys have been around sky talkers you know that charlotte is obsessed with deleted scenes they're not my most favorite bonus feature i like all bonus features but they're not top of my list but they're top of charlotte's list and i feel like revenge of the sith is where that love of deleted scenes came from just because so much of Padme's story is buried in them. Mm-hmm. Sorry, so that much. was just a side note. No, it's it's true, though. It's like Padme would have – not only would there be other women speaking parts in this movie, if – like, oh, my God, can you believe that? If no. those deleted scenes had been <laughs> um, kept in. But also we would now have this understanding that Padme was – worked with Bail Organa and Mon Mothma to create – the rebellion and Mm -hmm. she wasn't a hundred percent on board with each of their policies and politics but she was on board over the fact that something that she had argued for for almost a decade was crumbling in front of their very eyes and they had to do something about it Mm -hmm. and i think that that's it's valuable to discuss this as if it were canon because i do think that i honestly think lucasfilm kind of treats this as canon it comes up in you know tangential stories i feel like where if while some deleted scenes aren't canon i think that this one probably is <laughs> if you were to do like a case <laughs> by case basis you know? i think i think lucasfilm now with disney is like man i wish that was canon. <laughs> i know um so i think you're right i think they do pretty much treat like the seeds of the rebellion as canon Mm-hmm. Um, because it it should be, and it's like it creates in the greater saga. It creates such a nice link between Bale and Leia going right. forward that it's it's one of those that they definitely play up a lot in the other material, like the comics and the books, and you know the TV shows even. Yes, and I think that like 
just the continuous theme of Padme always being right. You know, when she and Anakin are sitting on the couch and she expresses, you know, what if the Republic is... I For some reason, I always get this line wrong, even though I've seen this movie so many times. But, you know, become the very thing that we've been fighting to destroy or something like that. And yeah, she's absolutely right. And Anakin doesn't believe her. And in that moment, we understand that there are multiple wedges that are coming between their marriage and mm-hmm. the the very, like veil of what they were operating under in terms of like this illicit private marriage is coming down because of these different wedges like first the wedge of Anakin having a dream of Padme and Anakin kind of going behind Padme's back to like do everything he possibly can to make sure that doesn't happen but also this political wedge which as we know is a huge part of Padme's life and here she is like Anakin says sounding like a separatist Mm -hmm. where things are changing around them and Anakin doesn't want to um, believe that someone that he considers his friend is, you know, evil. (laughs) (laughs) Point blank, evil. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they both have such – it's like as they've – it's something we don't really get to see a lot in Revenge of the Sith and and really even in the Clone Wars for that matter. But they both have grown so much in their – like understanding of like who they are and and who they want to be. And it wasn't necessarily at the same time or in the same way or the same direction due to the fact that their relationship is so secretive and they're, they don't act and or communicate like a normal married couple. Right. Um, Even just a little bit. I mean, it's never really been confirmed how they do like their sleeping arrangements and stuff. But like even in like Clone Wars, like Anakin is off and, and clearly he's been gone for so long. He doesn't even know Padme is pregnant. <laughs> and that's like nine months, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so it's like all these things are happening and they're both still so young to be in the kind of intense political and military situations that they're in. And not being able to then um, decompress and talk through all of those things that are happening around them together. It's understandable that they're – They need therapy. They do. They they literally (laughs) do. I mean it's understandable that they're on different pages because they've been living in different places. Yeah. One of them has been living like in combat and the other has been living on the floor. Yeah. The Senate floor. The Senate floor. (laughs) (laughs) You said that. I was like, was she camping? (laughs) (laughs) She witches. (laughs) She's up in the Alderanian Mountains. She witches. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, the Senate floor. (laughs) But, I mean, it, it makes sense that they're on different pages. And then when they come back, they both have very different ideas about how things should go. Mm-hmm. Or what's happening around them, and they both refuse to believe that the other is headed in a different direction. It's like yeah. too unbearable for them, and so they just like shut their eyes to it um, until they're forced to reconcile with one another. Yeah, and I think that like there's that one scene. Padme's wearing black. Anakin's on the couch, and he gets up and Lounging. knows that Obi Wan was here. And there's that like level of distrust between them, and Padme has to say like. Maybe that's not that scene. Wow. I'm like, now I'm thinking. You mean the scene but, with the bla- where they, you know, hold me like you did on Naboo? I wasn't thinking about that that one. I was thinking about her saying, don't shut me out. Let me help you. Mm. And I think that, like, that's so indicative of what's happening in their relationship that, like, yeah. each of them is shutting each other out. But – and I think they're both aware of it, too. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, 
Padme and the Seeds of the Rebellion are growing more distrustful of the Jedi, and then the Jedi are growing more distrustful of the Republic and of the Senators, and then Anakin and Padme are caught in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and th- a lot of this is like extrapolated in the Revenge of the Sith novelization, mm-hmm. but I, I, it's there's so many different things going on, especially for Anakin, who, like we mentioned is the person that is growing and changing the most. Mm -hmm. But I think Padme, in terms of a reactionary character, and she is reactionary, also has a lot going on in her in terms of, like, her changes as well, even though they're kind of smaller. Yeah, she is a reactionary, and there's, like, such little screen time for her to really delve into those issues, especially when you take out the deleted scenes of her not with Anakin. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's hard. One of the things that I wanted to talk about was the track Padme's Ruminations mm-hmm. from the John Williams score. Obviously, John Williams. <laughs> I think it's like one of the coolest tracks that we have in Star Wars. I mean, notwithstanding the entire prequel trilogy scores because they're all am- – I mean, all of them are amazing. But the prequel trilogy are just so unique and like so evocative of what's going on mm-hmm. um but Padme, Padme's ruminations in particular I think is really interesting both the the music itself and then also the scene that we see on screen when it's playing I mean we've been talking a lot about how Padme is reactionary to Anakin and her story is kind of only in relation to him and so I like that this track is called Padme's ruminations because you know, for a film where Anakin is the main character, it's kind of nice to have not only this track that is indicative of her thought process, and then the scene kind of lends itself to that too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of from her point of view, the music and both the scene, which isn't something we really get in any other part of the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's nice. I mean, I say nice, but it's like a really sad scene. And it's one of those things, again, it's like the sun is setting, like the movie is coming to a close, the trilogy is coming to a close, her life, her relationship, it's all coming to a close. And Padme, like we've been talking about, you know, always knows when things are right. And through her ruminations, like she knows that something is wrong, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't know what to do about it. And I just, I don't know. I really like that track. I like the name of it. I think it's like a super specific title for it and works really well it's just it's like a minute and a half not even the scene but again with what little we have of Padme Revenge of the Sith it's nice to have this thing that is like from her point of view about Anakin and it's just like incredibly symbolic in both the visuals and in the music it's tied together really well yeah you know that that was a a reshoot that that wasn't originally in the in the film yeah so a couple of things like they had filmed a different scene. Maybe this isn't that interesting for people, so I'll keep it quick. But they had filmed a scene with Padme and Obi Wan, one that, um, one that Anakin references when in that one scene I was just talking about before, where Anakin's like Obi Wan's been here, mm-hmm. and that wasn't used. And that I've never, no one has seen that footage ever. It's in the, um, it's in the novelization though, and it's a really good scene. And, um, and then. So they scrapped that, and Trisha Bigger was like really sad because the green velvet dress and robe—it's a, technically a robe—was um, her favorite piece of clothing from the movie, along with a peacock dress, which was cut in part of those like Padme confronts Palpatine in the Seeds of Rebellion kind of subplot. That was also cut, but it was used on the poster. But um, that scene was added, and I, I think often about like whether Anakin like stewing in the Jedi Council was added. 
Or like, was that originally part of the thing? And I love Mm -hmm. that George had thought about adding this short scene with Padme and they got to use that robe that Trisha Bigger wanted. Yeah. Because it establishes a connection between these two characters. And we've talked about this before as like, I've al- I always thought it was like similar to a force bond in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that the music is strange enough. It's like there's a lot of wailing. There's like operatics. A lot of oboes. Yeah. I think that like this the scene like it to me it's always kind of representative force bond or a bond between these two characters where one is afraid of the other's choice and or they're both afraid of each other yeah, i guess i was going to say they're both afraid yeah. of the other's choice that could exactly. tear them apart yeah it's like a weird electronical music but then underneath it all there's this across the stars tone that has always made me think because like the literal title across the stars like i had always thought of that scene particularly like they had a bond they had a force bond of some sort and this was really before like the whole Ray and Kylo thing obviously but, yeah obviously <laughs> like way before but I think that like even fan fiction writers had kind of picked that up and that was always a thing that I would read in Anakin and Padme fan fiction mm-hmm. but this scene is so important for both of them and I love that it was a pickup shot and it really just kind of it, it, this should restore hope in anyone's belief about how reshoots are actually a really good thing (laughs) yeah exactly the other track that i thought was really interesting about padme was the very last one with her the birth of the twins and padme's destiny this is such a strange track (laughs) i mean it's not as strange as padme's ruminations but it's quite strange i mean it has this like crazy kind of harry potter vibe it's like baby-esque yeah but it's like Scary baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like scary <I> mean. spice. <laughs> because there's like there's all of this tension around their birth, but it is it is childlike and it is hopeful, but there's also that darkness interwoven among it because Luke and Leia are destined for their own tragedies, which is something that really carries over into the sequel trilogy too, which I think is really nice. Um, but it's also the end of Padme's life. And the um What I think, too, kind of going back to that idea of, like, the Force Bond connecting Padme and Anakin in that moment, because when people have kind of headcanon about that, it's often been that, like, Padme gets these pseudo-Force abilities through her pregnancy because her children are Force-sensitive, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what is crazy, too, is that the Force theme plays right over Padme's funeral, which I think is a really nice touch because, of course, it doesn't finish. It's just, like, a little piece of the Force theme. And I think it's just so evocative of like Padme, you know, this was her destiny and the force is kind of overseeing all of this. We talk a lot about the cosmic force in relation to the sequel trilogy, but it's also kind of at play here in the prequel trilogy too. But also the force theme is like the force theme, you think of hope and that was what Padme left with her children um, and herself too. Like she left this world with hope. Um, I mean, I don't think we really want to get into like Padme dying of heartbreak or whatever, but I don't, (laughs) I really don't. But at the end of the day, despite the tragedy of her life, the last thing she had to speak to like give to the universe was about her hope and the person she loved most. And Mm -hmm. isn't that just like so crazy? Mm -hmm. And then that hope was given to Luke and we see that with Luke's hope and Anakin and then it was given to Leia as well. And we see that with Leia's hope for Ben in the sequel trilogy. All of these people that they love most. Padme loved Anakin most. Luke loved his father most. And I think that's kind of like a weird statement to say, but I think 
at least when I had when I had canon about it, it's like Luke spent his whole life building up his father in his head. And he had this overwhelming love for him despite not knowing who he was. And so that is what care that is what allowed him to have that crazy amount of hope for his father in the end. And then Leia, she has it for her son because that's her son. And she loves him most in the world, like a mother loves their child. Just like Shmi's hope for Anakin that he would have a better life. I agree with everything you say. Each movie with Padme, The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, especially, I think that it it is proven that we're supposed to believe this character. We're supposed to believe Padme because time after time, she is right. And of course, like her dying words, of course she's right. And I can't imagine what the fandom would be like if we didn't know that she was right. Like if we like saw each of these movies sequentially, I think that we'd be so like, no, she's always right. Everyone like doesn't watch the movie, like, <laughs> you know. But it's remarkable to me that like that's that's kind of like Padme's whole thesis statement is that she believes in what she believes in and she sticks to her guns and she's correct and it's proven correct even if it's you know 30 20 years later mm-hmm. she's rolling in her grave she is i was right she's like <laughs> she's like anakin tell your sister you were right how about tell your wife you were right <laughs> <laughs> was there anything from the prequel trilogy films that you feel we've left out i mean i don't i think that we could probably sit here and talk about them all day mm-hmm. like we really could <laughs> but i think let's talk about her clothing yes Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. All right, welcome to part three, where we're going to be discussing Padme's clothing. It really does deserve a whole section, just like it deserves <laughs> the many closets and suitcase that it inevitably has across like a multitude of apartments and palaces. Yes. It's what Padme deserves. Um, so we're going to start it off with this quote from George Lucas um, talking about the differences between the costumes for Leia and Padme. So, quote, Leia's costumes in the original trilogy are designed to not call attention. The Empire has taken over. Fashion has gone out the window. Everybody wears gray or white in the world where evil is the control of things. In the second trilogy, the costumes are designed to call attention to themselves. So it's just the opposite. Love this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> I also it's... like the 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 fact that George refers. He never really says like the prequels. He always says like the second trilogy, and I like that. I think that it's it's good, and it we look back upon that and think like, oh yeah, because there's a third trilogy. You know, should we start calling the sequel trilogy the third trilogy? Like maybe we should. I think we should because what if there's what's what's after the sequel trilogy? Just the fourth trilogy, the... and I think. Because you can't say, like, the sequel to the sequel trilogy. <laughs> is there another word past sequel? Like a trequel? No. Because each sequel, like, whatever. It's a sequel to the, yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> we're going to, all right, you heard it here. We're going to start referring to things as the second trilogy and the third trilogy and the yeah. first trilogy. George does it, so we're going to do it. <laughs> and by golly, if we don't love George Lucas, what are we doing here? Yeah, we're, exactly. Um, but I do, I've always loved this idea that the visual like the visual language of Star Wars is so important. It's so like so strong. 
why we're here. Like we've spent so many hours talking about it and it comes down to the costumes as well. And it is so present in the costumes and the prequels are so over the top and lavish and everything. It's because it's a, you know, a complicated society. Especially in regards to the second trilogy, it's like they, and a lot of the actors talk about this, particularly, I think, I know I've heard Natalie talk about it, but extras and others have spoken on it too, that it was like the the costumes were essential in order to like get some sort of context for what was going on because there was a lot of green screen. It was all green screen, mm-hmm. you know, and so the costumes were pivotal in that. And I mean, I think George knows that. I think we give George a lot of crap for how he writes and, um, you know, a myriad of other things. But for George, like the most important thing to him were the visuals of film. Um, and the music. And I mean, he famously said that like if he could write a film, like a silent, like he wanted it to be like a silent film, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it makes so much sense that the costumes are going to be of high importance to him. Mm -hmm. It's so, the the second trilogy is just so complicated. (laughs) Like the politics of it all are unbelievably complicated. And obviously we're still here uncovering it and discussing it and finding new meaning in it. And I think that that's exactly what you get when you look at these costumes is you see a political realm of the complications of, you know, (laughs) extravagance. And I think that that's exactly what you wanted to see. And so you could turn off the sound and you can just see that and it works. Mm-hmm. And and it's just like a complete visual difference from when the empire takes over. Mm-hmm. So you have that stark comparison that also grounds an audience in 1999 that didn't exactly know where we were going to be in this new trilogy um, that this is completely different. Yeah, it's such a stark contrast. It's completely opposite. But again, you can't judge a book by its cover because it's all it's all about to go down the tubes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's your favorite Padme outfit? I waffle back and forth. I really think I'm like a Trisha kind of gal and I love the green velvet dress. I've <laughs> always loved the green velvet dress because one, it's got a fantastic hood. Two, I have really curly hair like Natalie does in that scene. And I was just like the hood, the curls, I can make it work without the belly yeah without like the pregnant belly though (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i also love her tatooine costume from attack the clones the one that you cosplayed at the last celebration i love that one and then i also really love her funeral dress which i always feel weird for liking as much as i don't think you should feel weird about that at all i think that like the best part about that dress to me is like it's it's like water it's Mm -hmm. serene and it's like ophelia her hair looks amazing it does look so good And it's so beautiful. I mean, it's exactly like, I don't know, not how I want to be buried, but like it's (laughs) it's beautiful, you know? Yeah, it is. So those are my favorites. What about you? Uh, It's so hard. I love the lake gown, the like pastel-y one that's super revealing um, in the back. I just think it's so flowy and perfect and really evocative of what's going on in that scene. Yeah, I love that. I also really like the wedding dress, and I like the wedding dress more and more as I get older. I think when I was younger, I thought it was kind of stiff and rigid, but I realized that it's supposed to look like that. And in a way, I think that it is supposed to look like Darth Vader's helmet with the veil and everything. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved that. I thought that that you know was such a cool visual cue, and it also there's an air of like traditionalness to it that I think 
Padme would bring to her wedding dress. It feels kind of right for the character to look like that. And it's also kind of simple in a weird way. It is. It could have been so much more, but it wasn't. It's like the most intricately beaded thing and lace thing ever. But I think that it is not extravagant. And I think it's perfect for that scene. Mm-hmm. I like it much. I don't think I want my own wedding dress to look like that, but I wouldn't hate that. I think it's just kind of perfect for the whole scene and for her. It is. Well, the silhouette is so simple, but the dress itself is so complicated with all of the beading mm-hmm. and the lace and the fact that it is, you know, like long sleeves. She's got the veil that's like very, you know, covering a lot of her head, but it's still like you see her. It's not like a mm-hmm. ball gown. Yeah. There's like this level of like, secrecy that goes into that wedding dress too I think that you get with the veil and it being definitely not a see-through veil like it's very solid it's like a hood Mm -hmm. and I think that you kind of you look at that and you think like there's this there this is a secret wedding a hidden wedding that's going on Mm -hmm. I don't know I really love it I do and the the lake the lake gown to me I think that that one gets talked about a lot because I do think that it's like the first time we see Padme kind of let loose (laughs) literally natalie says that well she says like my costumes are much more revealing this time much more feminine not as rigid and i think she says that in jest but it it really is true like this is the truly most revealing point and she's so exposed in like her heart in herself um and like her back (laughs) and i think (laughs) that it's like it's just it makes sense that like this is where they share their first kiss because this gown is so uh, like reflective of their surroundings and like the lake. It's so it's just so beautiful. Kind of backtracking a little bit to just like the role of the costumes in the pre in the second trilogy. <laughs> it's gonna take some time. Yeah, to used to saying <laughs> that, but we're, we're, we're committed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's happening. George will listen to our show and he'll be super grateful that we say second trilogy. <laughs> our main characters are mainly Jedi and senators in the prequel trilogy with the heavy emphasis on the Jedi for obvious reasons. Um, and their whole shtick, right, is that they have the same kind of costumes. Like Anakin gets three costumes basically throughout the entire second trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um But with Padme, she gets to move through these different worlds and, like, thus show how, like, people outside of the Jedi are kind of expressing themselves. And her clothing – she's really the only character that could utilize clothing as a way to be reflective of what's going on around them. Um, Whereas the Jedi don't really have that opportunity to be in, like, loungewear Mm -hmm. (laughs) or, you know, like, a fun picnic dress or, like, something more relaxed versus, you know, the – kinds of costumes we see her in in the phantom menace you know that have a very different function versus like her senator dresses versus her packing dresses you know like they're different and she's really the only character that can kind of move through those different worlds and be able to like literally transform herself depending on who she's with and what she's doing whereas you know like anakin he pretty much wears the same thing (laughs) Yeah, except it just like gets progressively darker, darker as he gets darker and a little bit more broody. It just yeah. it works. Yeah, I mean he does <laughs> he does have loungewear that we see in Attack of the Clones, but it's <laughs> yeah he does he does. But I mean it's just 
It's plain. But it's like they Jedi think about it as like this is what I meditate in. Yeah. Like it's my chill time. But like I'm meditating. But like that's I'm part med- of I'm me. connecting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm connected. <laughs> I'm connected. <laughs> Hashtag no time off. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> Really, because I was going to say hashtag blessed to be with the force. <laughs> Anakin on Instagram. <laughs> Meditating. <laughs> hashtag blessed to be with the force. Hashtag no time off. Hashtag hero with no fear. Because you know you would hashtag that. Hashtag Obi-Wan who? Hashtag Padawan no more. Oh, Anakin would have like 17 hashtags. He would. You're so right. Hashtag Ahsoka Lips. Hashtag Ahsoka Lips. <laughs> Mood. <laughs> anyway, I think that like Trisha Bigar is someone who totally, 100%, it's like actually a crime, perhaps against the film and industry that she doesn't have an Oscar. It really is. But I think that she understood this need to portray Padme like this. I think her and George worked together so well this way in that I think they I think they both understood exactly how Padme should look and how that should be like her her general demeanor and everything should be expressed through costumes. Mm-hmm. What is your I and I just I think we should ask this. What is your least favorite? Had my costume. I don't love her Senate senator gowns from Attack of the Clones. Um, yeah, but like I know, I know why they look the way they they're like, do. They're they're rigid because she's got to look rigid. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Like, like I get it. You just got to wear a suit to work. But like personally, I want the flowy. I want the Attack of the Clones nightgown, not the Revenge of the Sith nightgown, and I want the green velvet dress. I like all her nightgowns. We've discussed. We've had. I can't remember when, but we had an in-depth discussion about Padme's it was nightgown. On it was on Patreon? Yeah. That's true. So on Patreon, Charlotte and I had an in-depth discussion about Padme's nightgown in Revenge of the Sith and what the heck those beads are made out of because that is hella not comfortable. <laughs> so you can have that dress. I will totally take the like crushed blue velvet robe of goodness. I know. That right? is the Attack of the Clones nightgown along with her morning hair. Oh my god! <laughs> a literal angel emerging <laughs> from the bedroom. She definitely put on some lip gloss before she then, did. and like that's totally fine. I just I want to be clear about that. I I, I, I want Padme to like lean into that, like getting what she wants. <laughs> yeah, she like puts her hair up all like, yeah. very vol a lot of volume. She teased. She did. She teased her hair with a tease brush. <laughs> she was like, "Sabe, Sabe, where's the tease brush? Where'd we back it?" <laughs> <laughs> to, for me, my least favorite, I just am not a fan of the queen outfits. I like the red one, the traditional one, the one that's used on all the marketing. Um, oh, see, I don't. I, I like that, but I feel like I've I've made myself like it because it's on everything. <laughs> I, like the, I like the kimono one. I don't like that one. Like the Japanese-inspired one. I like that one a lot. Yeah, I think that, I mean, they're all essentially Japanese-inspired. Like, Yeah. They really are, all are. And that's something that actually kind of... I mean, it's it's a conversation that I am not equipped to get into, but I do think that there's like there's a lot of a cultural appropriation that's happening with Padme's costumes as a queen that is both evocative of George's you know favorite movies and favorite time periods and everything, and I think that's fine, but 
there's something about the rigidness and like the the completely pulled from earth <laughs> look that I just don't love, even though I totally appreciate their construction and how intricate they are. There's this like there's this one part of the I think it's in the Phantom Menace um, bonus features or part of the blue like the Blu-ray that came out in 2011 has like so much bonus features with like each costume like per costume Trisha does like a little thing about it and she talks about how like even the crowns of these headpieces they're not fake gold like they had to send them away to be gilded <laughs> casually like it's casual real gold and i think that that's just like it's amazing they really went that far to show that yes this is a real queen this is her regality and like perhaps it's a little ridiculous and you're supposed to kind of think it's a little ridiculous but at the end of the day she shows you that it's not all costumes and it's not all this like ritzy exterior it is that but it's also yeah, I, I keep a blaster in my throne. <laughs> and that's how we get by. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we make it work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of intense. Um. <laughs> it's, it's super intense. And I really like it. It's just like they're not my favorite costumes. And I don't think I'd ever want to wear any of them. Yeah, no. And, and it's always nice. I mean, that's what's nice about having Padme not actually functioning as the queen for a lot of the Phantom Menace is that you're seeing her. Mm-hmm. Like, her handmaiden outfit when they're on Naboo, I think, is really fun. Um, I like all of her, like, kind of uh, pantsuit costumes. Yeah. Like, the pilot one that we see at the start of Attack of the Clones. Obviously, the one at the end of Revenge of the Sith. I think they all work really well for her. There truly isn't a costume to me that I'm like, I don't like this costume. Mm-hmm. And I think that says something about me just because I, I love anytime Padme's on screen. I don't love, I guess, again, another one I don't really love is in Revenge of the Sith, that one scene where Padme is like kind of calling out Anakin and calling out the Republic. And um, I, there's like this weird unevenness with her hair that kind of bothers me that I feel like is a reshoot or a technical error or like that digitally removed hair situation that they did in The Force Awakens with Leia. Like something's going on there that always kind of bothered me. But I. I love that she continues the headpiece situation through Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Um, that it wasn't something that was just saved for the Phantom Menace with her crazy queen headdresses. Like the – I really like the one. Like her hair just looks so soft in that like low ponytail but with that – um, like three-piece metal headband that she has in Revenge of the mm-hmm. Sith um, when she's talking – when Obi-Wan figures out that Anakin's the father and tells Padme that Anakin killed younglings. Mm-hmm. Horrible conversation, but her hair looks great. It does. <laughs> Horrible <laughs> conversation, except I think it's maybe both of those actors as like best scenes in the prequels. I oh, think that yeah. they – both do really well acting in this. Yeah, a hundred percent. But in terms of the story, things continue to take a turn for the worse. <laughs> yeah, I just want to share some quotes from Natalie too. She says, "It's a great way that George portrays women. They can be powerful. They can be soft. They can wear beautiful clothes, and that doesn't contradict from her strength. I think that's what's great about this character." 
she's t- she's this tough, smart woman who who everyone's trying to kill because she's such a powerful leader and she always wears the coolest clothes. And I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. That's like exactly how I feel. It's <laughs> she has the coolest, coolest clothes. And there won't be a celebration, I think, that I don't wear a Padme costume. Mm-hmm. It feels wrong if I don't wear a Padme costume. It's just it's like that's what every that's what every little girl wants. <laughs> exactly. To be this tough, smart woman who makes enemies, but like because she's so badass. Mm-hmm. And then she also gets to wear the coolest clothes. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's great. I mean, who wouldn't want that? You know, like it it works. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that hilarious quote from Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher would do this bit all the time on, on like basically tape. every every mm, well, yes, but every talk show where she'd talk about like yeah, they got this new woman playing my mother, like Natalie. And every time she walks through a door, <laughs> there's a different outfit on. And it's true. And I think that, like, in my research for this, I, like, came across this fact that, like, I think they started Padme or the Queen having only three outfits. And <laughs> by <laughs> this, like, laughable. By, I know. And I think that, like, by pre-production, George was like, no. No, no, no. She needs a new outfit every single time we see her. She would have a new outfit every single time we see her. And I think that's that's true. I mean, that's like what we've been told about Padme. But I think it's hilarious and I can't even imagine how much stress that would be. For Patricia. <laughs> yeah, for Patricia and her her like costume department of like I think they had something like 70 seamstresses working. Oh my god, I can't even imagine it. There must have been just like a whole Padme department. Yeah, because it's like it's not even just Padme. Like Trisha did the entire costumes oh, for yeah. every single person, and everyone was so thankful for the costumes because it's like amazing. They were so beautiful and so intricate, and like some of the pieces that she got were from like vintage. vintage. They're so vintage, like mm-hmm. one of a kind. Like even I something I was watching last night, like. <laughs> this one scene where I think it's it's when Padme's talking to Palpatine or Queen Amidala's talking to Palpatine in um on Coruscant in the Phantom Menace on Coruscant when she's like I've decided to go back to Naboo like the piece that's on her head it's like this white like cloth thing and it's actually a piece from an exotic exotic dancer's like bottoms and I can't look at the it the same the way anymore but I do (laughs) really like this idea of like her finding all these different pieces from everywhere and just kind of repurposing them in like the most beautiful way ever yeah and makes it work (laughs) incredibly well the thing about padme's costumes and especially in like revenge of the uh attack the clones is and natalie said this too she was talking they were talking it was the segment where they were talking about the picnic dress Mm -hmm. and she was like you know this feels more like a period piece than you know, a space film and we're in this mm-hmm. like romantic field. And and I think it's again just another layer of George using the visuals of the film emphasized in Padme's costumes in particular to showcase how this isn't this isn't sci-fi. Like Star Wars isn't your typical sci-fi. It's space opera. Um and it's meant to feel old. Um and Padme's costumes really show that. And then kind of coupled with the orchestral music and, you know, like a wonderful score like across the stars, mixed with this like period piece inspired dress that she wears. It just like it all comes together for the vision that George had overall for these films right the second trilogy <laughs> the second trilogy the second trilogy that's one of my favorite costumes i should have listed that that's like up there with the like 
that would that would it's probably the lake dress and the picnic dress and then the wedding dress for me <laughs> because I just love it. It's so and I love the the half buns because it's like Leia. Yeah. Oh my god, I also love that they put her in buns when she oh man went in in Revenge, Revenge of the Sith when she tells Anakin she's pregnant. I love that. I've always wanted those earrings. If you guys can ever find me where I can buy those Literally. drop earrings, I would wear them every single day. And I don't even wear silver, but I would wear no. them. <laughs> Literally from the time I've known Charlotte, one of the earliest things I know about her is that she loves those earrings. <laughs> I don't know if I really love the earrings because the earrings are well, like just really want to be padding. Yeah. yeah. And you want to like be spun I- around by Hayden Christensen. It's yes. fine. <laughs> Let's get to the root of this, <laughs> please. <laughs> but Someone I do think I, I love the I love the touch, and I think that there is like I love that she wears that um, that hairstyle. Mm-hmm. It's a great choice. Yeah, it's a really nice choice. Um, and then the I mean the buns though at the picnic dress. It's very Renaissance, Padmesans. Yeah, and she's got you know the the Padmesans. <laughs> And she's got the ribbons in her hair, and it feels like very English, you know, very Shakespearean, which is funny. Maple-esque, yes. Yeah, which is interesting, you know, given our conversation about her looking like Ophelia at the end of Mm -hmm. Revenge of the Sith. Um, Again, you know, this is space opera. It's not Mm sci-fi. And it's nice, too, that, like, you know, the first trilogy, the original trilogy, is like the Western and then mm-hmm. the second trilogy is the period piece. And then I don't really know what the third trilogy is. <laughs> well, everyone says the third the, – the episode nine is the most like a Western. So we'll see how that goes. Okay. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that so. means either. It does, I mean, if – I'm thinking about one behind-the-scenes picture I've seen and it does feel like that. Yeah. Well, we've talked about it before. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how all that shakes out. But as far as what George was doing mm-hmm. with the original six-part saga, it was like Western and then period piece. It was never overtly defined as sci-fi, at least not through his eyes. Oh, yeah, never. Well, is there anything else that we want to say about Padme? We didn't really even cover the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. but it's hard. And I, I think that we can say a couple words on the Clone Wars because I do think that it's like it's worth talking about how Padme's character was just kind of completely underscored like <laughs> in the Clone Wars and I love all the attention that she got like all these arcs of just her her talking with Ahsoka her you know volatile relationship with Anakin some of those are my favorite arcs and we talked about them with Queen Shadow I think that they're always I don't know I the work that I think that often people talk about how the Clone Wars like in a way course corrected the the prequels or the second trilogy um by adding more substance to what you know limited like six hours of content that we got in the prequels right Mm -hmm. and i think that now the the clone wars also did that on a micro level for padme and i i've always been really appreciative of further understanding you know how complicated her politics are we also didn't really talk about how Padme on the surface, you know, considers her like I think that people consider her as a pacifist. But like I mentioned, with her having like a blaster in her throne, mm-hmm. she is willing to do what she thinks is right for the sake of the Republic. And I, I, I think that that's like demonstrated, like we said, in her costumes or like her surroundings, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, um. 
But is there anything else you want to say about Padme and the Clone Wars? Well, what I was actually going to say is I think one of my favorite Padme moments actually is from Forces of Destiny um, Mm. with her scene on Coruscant in her apartments with Ahsoka. And it just reminded me of it when you said about her, you know, she is a pacifist, but she's also going to take action when she needs to. And that scene was kind of a perfect example of that. Um, And I really liked how her teamwork with Ahsoka in that moment, I think, was great and how both of them showed no fear, Mm -hmm. Um, especially Padme. Yeah, I think that, you know, the Clone Wars, I think, benefited from having, you know, six seasons of time to play with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's still Anakin's story. And so I think there's still – it's always going to be focused around him. That's just kind of the nature of the beast. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But that being said, I do think that Padme could have always used more, but I think we could say that until the cows come home, until she gets her own series where she's the main, main character. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I I really liked the the time that we did spend with her. And it was nice that I I think they really did balance seeing her outside of her role of Anakin. Um, and seeing her operating independently without even, like, contacting him. And, of course, we get a lot – what's funny is we actually get a lot more of Anakin thinking about Padme when he's not with her than mm-hmm. we do of Padme thinking about Anakin when she's not with him. Yeah, I think <laughs> – that's funny. I, <laughs> I um, think we get some, like, amazing moments. There's, like, one speech that Padme gives in The Clone Wars that's, like, so amazing. And any time – like, we talk <laughs> – I can't – even tell you how many times we talk about the heroes oh God, on both heroes sides. On both sides. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like, it's so good. So that's fun. such a, it's like a, let me show you rather than tell you, mm-hmm. Ahsoka, because you have to see things with your own eyes to experience them and to make up your own mind about certain things. And mm-hmm. Padme, like, while she's like a firm believer in the Republic, I don't think that she will would ever be someone to allow like party lines to kind of sway her in one direction. I think that she always kind of goes with her heart. That's, mm-hmm. that's Padme in a nutshell. Yeah. And the Clone Wars did like a really good job of extrapolating upon that and like really proving that out and also kind of showing her relationship, which is like a strange relationship with the Jedi and, and her like appreciation for that. Yeah. It was nice too, especially for Ahsoka to have a woman in her life. For sure. Um, and it was it was cute how her and her and Padme would go on these like side adventures. They'd be like, bye, Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am so excited for what we get of season the next season oh, of Clone Wars. Mm, okay. <laughs> because I think that like we can talk about, you know, it could like fill in the parts that we don't know about Padme and her pregnancy. Like that's my like main wish. I, I mean, that's not my main wish, but I really, really want that. I think that there's like, there's so much room there. Like imagine if we got mm-hmm. some sort of canon hard evidence that Padme does feel the force through the children that she is carrying. Yes. Like that could happen. It could happen. It, yeah. And then even scenes that would completely canonized sees the rebellion content exactly like that that could a hundred percent happen and it would i wouldn't be surprised if we got at least one scene like that at all oh yeah i i i put money on it me too me too oh i just had a, a vision of in the revenge of the sith art book which is such a good one if you can track it down oh my god caitlin do you remember when i got that in yeah. disney world and i like looked at it the entire time we were at lunch wow yep there's this there's this concept art where 
Padme goes to Yoda for help because she doesn't understand what's happening like with her body and like her um like her force connection it's like this really like strong image of Padme like keeled over in front of Yoda asking for help and like imagine if we got that in the Clone Wars gosh it could happen like stuff like that could happen like Star Wars could pull stuff out like that and (laughs) I'd be so happy dive into the archives bring up some Ralph McQuarrie-ish and just go for it I'm realizing like Queen Shadow did that with like all these different pieces of like Padme lore that like mm-hmm. live all these different places and kind of like put them that together and reference them in smaller smaller parts and everything and it's like that can just continue with every single bit we get from Padme and especially as like this is like a tangent but as the prequel generation gets older and has a play in creating Star Wars it's like there are images yeah. like the one I just mentioned that like stick with you yeah that could could find their way into concept art for new stuff man man what a good generation to have second trilogy second trilogy, <laughs> second trilogy generation, <laughs> second trilogy generation. <laughs> this is too much words <laughs> the, the the second the second trilogy gen the second mm. the second trill no acceleration okay. <laughs> oh it's not working <laughs> I'm I'm just glad that people who are involved in the film industry and hopefully in Star Wars like the second trilogy like we do and they'll be calling the shots soon enough. (laughs) Same. I always think about how at Star Wars like dot com headquarters they have that like amazingly large portrait of Natalie. Yeah, with the that's from her packing dress, isn't it? No, it's her with the buns in Revenge of the Sith. And it's like I love that so much. I would kill to first off see that. Mm -hmm. Second off have that get an instagram where you could third say, off get an instagram of that hashtag bless hashtag meditation hashtag force mon exactly <laughs> hashtag where can i buy those earrings hashtag political princess okay we gotta stop with the hashtags i don't even use hashtags <laughs> anyway perfect okay uh well i think that's gonna wrap up our discussion of padme in this episode of the padme songs so many bad things in this episode (laughs) Um, but uh you can find us online at sky talkers pod is our twitter we also have our personal handles at caitlin plusher is me and charlotte's is at clarity as we mentioned at the top of the show we will be at the celebration podcast stage april 12th at 12 please be there um and then also we have a bonus episode for padme sans coming out very soon probably sometime next week uh but please send us your thoughts about what padme means to you you can send them to us on twitter through our website skytalkers.com or through our email, skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to get your responses, and uh, it will probably most likely definitely be read on the show for everyone to hear about just what Padme means to you um, throughout Star Wars. So please send those our way. Um, Also, if you want to check out our Patreon, we just uploaded our Force Awakens commentary there, which that was a lot of fun. And we also just finished Resistance. (laughs) So if you're catching up on Resistance, you can check out our recaps as well. And if you like all of that content, please head over to iTunes and give us a review so other people can join in the Padmaisance and the Resistance recaps and the sequel trilogy love. Third trilogy love. I <laughs> the um I will put the relevant email in the show notes. So 
It's easy. You could just do it right now. And I want to thank our amazing patrons, Jason, Kimberly, Amy, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Brian, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, Vundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Sintara, Thomas, John, Dominic, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Brooklyn, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpararoo, Patrick, James, Hamsa, From a Certain Point of View, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kells, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Daniela, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Allie, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Jordan, Molly, Aaron, Scott, Irina, I, Rebel, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabres Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.